0: listening to the Getting Smart Podcast. I'm Nate McLennan and today I am here with Lisa Lewis who is a freelance journalist who focuses on the intersection of parenting, public health and education and specifically thinking a lot about uh, sleep. She's the author of the book titled The Sleep Deprived Teen, Why Our Teenagers Are So Tired and How Parents and Schools Can Help Them Thrive. And was instrumental in supporting an effort in California to have uh, later school start times. So welcome, Lisa. Super excited to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm, I am I uh, am a parent of two teenagers, one 10th grader and one 12th grader. So this topic specifically is super interesting to me. Um, I'm really interested in how, how the, the biology of sleep in adolescence and how technology has impacted it in learning sciences and equity and you happen to be writing about all those things. So uh, I'm really excited for our conversation today. And I'd love to start us off with, what what inspired you to to write about this topic as a journalist? What was the, the early inspiration for this?
1: Yes, well, I am a journalist. I'm also a parent. And so there have been plenty of times where those two roles have overlapped. And this is a perfect example. Um, so my interest in this specific topic, teen sleep and why school should start later, really started back in 2015. That was when my oldest, my son, was just entering high school. So that was the beginning of his freshman year. And at that point, our school started at 730 in the morning, which felt very early. I'm not a morning person and it was really obvious he really wasn't either because I was the one driving him to school every day and I could see how hard it was for him to get up and get out the door and get to school every day and how tired he was at the end of the day. So I started looking into the topic. I was trying to figure out why was it that our school started at 7.30 and was this the norm elsewhere? And what I quickly found out was that this was a topic much broader than our school or our community And it was a topic that really was hitting a critical mass. Um, The issue of teen sleep and the research literally had been going on for decades at this point. But at that point, 2015, um, literally the same month, August, the CDC had just come out with its report on school start times which was essentially a baseline report to talk about um, what time schools were starting around the country. And it was meant as a baseline because it came on the heels of a policy statement that had just come out the prior year, 2014, by the American Academy of Pediatrics. And they had made their official recommendation that middle and high schools should start no earlier than 8.30 in the morning. Because of the implications of school start times on teen sleep, and the huge health and well-being ramifications when teens are sleep deprived.
0: Got it. Yeah, the, 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 it seems like there was a lot, a lot happening where we were suddenly uh, awakened to this issue. So, so let's let's. I'm a scientist by training, and so I love thinking about the science of this. So let's let's take a, a step back a little bit and start with the data. What is it? Um, two parts of this question. So are teens getting enough sleep? That's the first part of the question. The second is, is um, what's happening in, in their, in their brains? Like what are the impacts of uh, not getting enough sleep If that's indeed happening? Yes. So, so you are correct. Teens are not getting enough
1: sleep. Um, teens as a whole really are sleep deprived. Um, again, just some data from So I mentioned the CDC had done their school start time um, survey. And what that showed was at that point, only 18% of the schools around the country were starting at 830 or later. Um, And when you look at also teen sleep, well, 2019, we have data from the CDC, again, showing that only 22% of high schoolers are getting at least eight hours of sleep. I think it's not as widely understood that teens really do need eight to 10 hours of sleep. And eight hours may sound like a, a good amount and it is for an adult, but for a teen, that's the minimum that they should be getting. And so many of them aren't even meeting that.
0: And, and so so I, I, I definitely see that in the students that I've taught when I was working in schools, um, tired kids coming in, regardless of, of start times, start times helped for sure uh, when we can make those later. So what, 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 did you, what have you learned about sort of the, the impacts of limited sleep uh, or lower than expected or lower than needed sleep on these teenagers who are going through crazy transitions in their brains, like their, grain, their brains are growing really, really quickly um, in that period. So, so what did you learn that, that um, around this time?
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, so what you, you mentioned, I mean, they are going through such tremendous change. We see it just in terms of their physical development, but in their brain, too. It is a, a second most major phase of development for them. Um, during during adolescence, the, there are two main processes going on. It's the, when it comes to brain and it's pruning and it's remodeling. So pruning has to do with. Um, it's sort of the use it or lose it principle. There, there's a, an excess of um, brain cells and those that are not being used are paired away so that the remaining ones can function more effectively. The second process, remodeling, has to do with connectivity between those neurons. So, um, the, And that doesn't happen in all parts of the brain at the same time. So it actually sort of works its way from the back to the front, which was sort of fascinating when I was reading up on this research. Um, but what that means is that uh, the, the part of the brain that is responsible for emotions and sensation seeking, the limbic system is the part that revs up first, but the prefrontal cortex, which is the executive function and um, you know the reasoning piece and judgment that is not um, coming online at the same time. So those two aren't, essentially, that would be the breaking system. And that's not coming online at the same time. Um, so, so you do have this fundamental mismatch. But then when you layer in sleep deprivation, well, that just ups the ante even further. Because when we're sleep deprived for all of us, you know, we we've, uh, have stronger emotions. Um, it makes it harder just to, to cope with the stressors we face on a daily basis um, but for teens that that is even um, more intense because it, it heightens impulsive behavior for example which is already something that they are, are more prone to given the the, the sequence of, of the brain development that I was just describing
0: and so so I think what I'm hearing you saying is that we we know from research that sort of the limbic system the the emotional development is, is, is running the show as those as those uh, adolescents brains are developing prefrontal comes second. So logic reasoning, when they are sleep deprived, uh, we're seeing a heightened emphasis on that emotional part. Does, how does that connect with sort of mental health and well-being? So it's one thing to be re- more reactive and more emotional. It's another thing to be really struggling with mental health. Are there, are, yeah. Did you see any connections between sleep deprivation and onset of mental health challenges or things like that that we know a lot of teenagers are experiencing? Uh, yeah,
1: yes, problems? absolutely. There, there is absolutely a link. And, and just to the first part, that um, sleep deprivation actually does play a role in risky behaviors. So we know that the less sleep teens get, the more their risky behavior goes up. Um, and impulsive behavior goes up as well. And unfortunately, those do have implications when it comes to things like suicidality. Um, but when we talk about mental health, we know that our teens have already were struggling with mental health and, and have faced even more mental health challenges in these last couple of years. I mean, the effects of the pandemic have been really, really um, quite severe. And, and, you know, the CDC just released data a couple months ago on that. And it's, it's really scary as a parent when you see that. Um, So, yes, sleep does have a link to emotions and to uh, mental well-being. Um, Specifically, when you don't get enough sleep, it's linked with depression. There have been many studies out there that show that teens who don't get enough sleep are more likely to report feeling depressed. It increases anxiety. Um, There's also a condition called anhedonia, which is just the ability to experience pleasure. So it means that you know, when you're sleep deprived, it's harder just to take joy from those little small moments in your day. And that's really a quality of life issue. And then there's the most severe, which is when we look at suicidality and suicide risk. And yes, the absolutely. The research shows the less sleep teens get, the more their suicide risk goes up.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it, it seems like it's connected. It's really this ubiquitous thing that's connected to so many other pieces. Uh, we didn't we didn't talk much about sort of the physical pieces, physical, but but you have this the, the mental health pieces that are so profound. Um, let's let's think about. I mean, some of this will probably be pretty obvious to our listeners, but I'm really curious as to sort of where you're seeing. Um, so so why are teenagers getting less sleep? And clearly you have talked, you you've put a lot of effort into start times for schools, so school has to be one of those drivers, which I'd love to hear you elaborate on. But what else is getting in the way? What are the big pieces out there?
1: Yeah. Well, so we know our teens overall are sleep deprived, that so many of them are not getting, as I mentioned, even that minimum of eight hours sleep. The most recent right. data: only 22% of high schoolers were getting at least eight hours, and that really does have profound implications. So I, I do mention the the time school starts because that really is a policy issue, um, and that's why groups like The American, not just the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Medical Association, American Psychological Association. I mean, the list goes on, but they recognize that teen sleep deprivation is a public health issue and that starting schools at 830 or later has a real impact on that. And the reason why is that teens are on a different sleep schedule. When they hit adolescence, there is a circadian rhythm shift. Essentially, their body clock shifts to a later schedule, and that's because melatonin, which is what primes us to feel sleepy, is not released until later in the evening, and it doesn't subside until later in the morning. So, you know, when your kid is six, you know, you can get them in bed at whatever time, 7:30 at night. But obviously, a teen is not going to want to go to bed that early. But they're they're literally not sleepy. You know, if you put a teen in bed at 9 o'clock, they're probably just going to lay there and stare at the ceiling. They're not feeling sleepy until about 11 o'clock at night. And that has to do with the change of the circadian rhythm um, and and their body clocks just being on a different schedule. So let's say they're not sleepy till about 11, even if they fall asleep exactly at 11. Well, if you do the math and they need eight to 10 hours, that's why what time school starts in the morning matters because that is what's governing for most kids, what time they have to get up. So that is a very, very major piece.
0: So, so that, that, that if we can extend that time in the morning to adapt to the sort of circadian rhythms of, of uh, typical teenagers, that's going to be uh, – so that's, that's one piece that's getting in the way, start times for schools. Um, clearly, the elephant that's definitely not in the closet is technology. So, so yes. um, tell me what you – I mean – uh, it feels like there's, there's. Uh, we've learned a lot about technology. Sometimes I think that we're experimenting with this generation of both adults, us, and uh, young people, with exposing them to massive amounts of technology without really understanding of the implications. Um, yeah. All sorts of great things, but uh, what did you learn about technology use and the impact of that on um, sleep?
1: Yeah, technology. Absolutely. I mean, there are many factors that can play into how late we and specifically our teens are going to bed um again for them to get the eight to ten hours and i and i know i've already mentioned but the the start times there's one last piece i didn't mention which is that Mm. when they wake too early it's actually cutting into their REM sleep because that's Mm. backloaded, so more of it happens in the second half of the night so that's actually pretty significant so again just recognizing how much that morning sleep is important but to your point going back to okay so what about at night um what can you do to help them get to bed at a reasonable hour Um, There are many different pieces that I think that we as parents can address in our homes. One of them absolutely is tech use. So it was really interesting to me when I started delving into the research and talking to some of the experts on this. um, I didn't realize, you know, just as a user of technology and as a parent, you know, who considers herself fairly savvy on these things. But I really didn't grasp just how much technology was designed to be deliberately immersive so the reason why um, you know it is so hard sometimes for us to extricate ourselves and for our teens to extricate themselves from media use our tech use is because it's designed to be that way so you look at things like social media you know things like likes you know where where they, they get to see who, who who has you know hit that little button to like it that that plays into their um their need for rewards and reinforcement. Um, there's also things like, even if you're streaming a television show and one episode ends and you know, you'll know you see a little countdown and five seconds later, boom, it just automatically loads the next one for you. So all of these have been designed to keep us you know, engaged as long as possible. So, so just to recognize that piece. Um, and there are also pieces where schools play a role in terms of technology. So most students are doing homework on computers, turning in assignments online. And what I found was I think it's the default is 1159 for the turn in time, because I had asked that, like, well, why is that? I don't think people automatically choose that. Well, that is the default, I, I believe. And of course, human nature being what it is, if you know you have until 1159 to turn in an assignment that really does kind of tacitly encourage you to work on it later in the evening. Whereas if it had to be turned in earlier, you know, you have to hit the deadline. You're probably by necessity going to start on it and turn it in earlier.
0: I had never thought about that. You're right. By default, most learning management systems on the teacher side will say, when you say it's due on this date, it's due on 1159 at 1159 on this date. And no, no teacher really thinks about that part. Cause it's like a smaller setting. Um, but that's an interesting lever to pull. We have schools and doing work on computers. We have the technology itself. We know the state the, the late start times. Um, how, how have you turned that into a set of sort of recommendations? I mean, is there, what are the key levers we can pull uh, in, this, in this effort?
1: So I spent a lot of time trying to track down this information because as a parent, you know, I realized there really wasn't information readily available in a book form. And this is sort of, you know, me as a parent, and as a writer, I ended up basically writing the book I wished that I had had when my kid, my oldest, was uh-huh. starting high school. To explain some of yeah. this, to, to take the science and explain it in layperson's terms Um, you know, what it, why is sleep so important? What, what happens to teens? The fact that there is this circadian rhythm shift, all the various implications, but then the last third of the book to, to talk about what is it that we as parents can do to help our teens get more sleep. So I I do, as you would expect, I do have a large section talking about school start times, because that is something I was very, very involved in here in California. I started in my local community and it snowballed from there because I wrote an article that ran in the L.A. Times, uh, an op ed on why schools should start later in the day. One of our state senators read that he had a high schooler. So the issue resonated with him. He in- he ended up introducing a bill on the topic. I got sucked in and it was a two and a half year legislative journey. That law goes into effect July 1st. It is the first we are the first state in the nation, California, to enact um, a law requiring later start times. So for California specifically, it's eight 30 or later,
0: which I applaud, like incredible, incredible that that can happen. And I love seeing that, uh, um, a small group of people or a single person can start something that's really small and then make a difference. Right. So just as, as a message to our audiences, we always, we talk about change-making a lot and purposeful learning. And, um, this is about change-making what you're talking about there. So let's pivot a little bit to that work in California. Uh, Uh, it is not easy to get laws passed. I know that. Um, And uh, what were the big barriers? Were there people having counter arguments against this? Or was this an easy process that just happened to take a couple years to happen? I'm just curious about the experience.
1: Um, It was a two and a half year journey. So, It was an incredible learning experience for me because you know, I'm a parent, I'm a journalist, I had not been involved, certainly to this level before. Um, the the objections are were really the same ones that have gotten raised in communities around the country that have talked about starting this they're, they're talked about changing their start times. And I should mention hundreds of, of districts around the country have already done this. This is not something that You know, it's brand new, but it's been done on a patchwork basis up until now. So I would say the three major objections that tend to come up, just broadly speaking, are um, change itself, because the idea of change is daunting sometimes. And particularly when you look at schools, which are in many cases what our schedules revolve around. You know, as parents, we do plan around school schedules. Um, so there's, there's that piece, there's transportation often that comes up, and there's sports. Um, However, all three of those have been successfully addressed in every single community that has changed its start times so far, which ranges from districts as small as one high school to cities like Seattle. So the other piece too, which as a parent, I'm sure you're familiar with, school start times do not mirror our schedules they were never designed to. So they are not, you know, necessarily um, work friendly. They are not necessarily family friendly. When your kid is off all summer, when your kid is off on winter break, when your kid is off for teacher prep days, you know, that's not something that a, a working adult typically has a schedule that, that that mirrors that. You know, I can remember when my when my kids were in elementary school the day, the elementary school day ended at, oh my goodness, I can't remember now, it was one forty seven or one forty eight p.m., <laughs> but it was imprinted in my brain because my schedule had to be planned around that, and right. either parents had to come and pick their kids up, or their kids went directly into after-school care, but everything surrounds what time schools start and what time they end, so those are issues that, that you know, you do have to address, but they are things that can be addressed, and particularly keeping in mind why we're doing it, which is that sleep deprivation is a public health issue, as is asbestos and lead paint. So when you think of it like that, Mm. then you realize making changes to logistics, making changes to transportation, yes, it does require conversation. It does require time, but there's a reason why we're doing this.
0: Right, right, right. It is fascinating to, to think about how little the school schedule models the professional world that uh, parents are experiencing as they're employed, and um, we we all take it for granted. But um, I do know, you know, there's districts that have experimented with year-round. There's districts that have experimented with later start times, um, as you insinuated. So all of it is possible, but you have to overcome, you know, obviously the fear of change is the fear of change. Like that's that's a human condition. Um, transportation and sports is interesting. I've seen some schools who do later start times for uh, teenagers, but then they start running practices in the morning. <laughs> and so, so you, you, you have this, this counter effect, which is not effective either. So I don't know if you ran into that at all. Yeah.
1: Well, that would not be a best practice. In fact, one of the school districts, I, I spoke with the superintendent in a small school district in Maine. And when they implemented later start times, they actually put rules in place. So they barred before school practices and they set a cap on how late practices could go in the evenings. Which again, makes sense when you think about it. Our schools are not designed to be training athletes for a professional career. They are designed to be educating students and preparing them for the workforce and to be productive members of society it matters that they get enough sleep so they can be showing up to school because you know when they're sleep deprived they the effect on attendance is something that has been measured that goes up when school start times change tardies go down graduation rates go up and kids are actually awake in the classroom and able to learn and that's really the whole point of them being there not to 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 you know score better in in the game <laughs> as someone who, who had a, a high school athlete, I mean, my son did play sports, but I think it's also just, let's, let's keep it in, in perspective. What is the whole point of them being in school?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Both, both of my uh, children are athletes as well. And uh, it, it is a learning experience that's part of the bigger whole, but it shouldn't dominate the learning experience, which um, it does occasionally in schools around the country. So yeah. Um, let, let's uh, pivot a little bit. You wrote in your book a, a little bit about uh, different identities and sleep and some differences there. Um, and I'm, I'm really curious, um, uh, A, what you found, uh, how did you go about thinking about this? Um, and what implications does it have for us as we think about sleep, for us collectively as educators, parents, et cetera, those that are helping support children, yeah. children growing up?
1: Well, I literally have an entire chapter I ended up calling Not All Teens Sleep the Same, which mm. you know makes sense. Teens are not one monolithic group. And um, what I ended up doing was talking to various experts on some of these different areas, really just because I think it's important for us to understand some of these differences. These aren't necessarily things we can change, but just to be aware, there are additional factors above and beyond everything we've already talked about that can affect teen sleep. So one of them is sex and gender. When you look at uh, biological females um, in general, and I'm just, so I'm going to use the term girls, but really what I'm referring to is biological females, because this does have to do with biology. So in general, at puberty, the risk of insomnia starts to rise for girls. um, And in general, they take longer to fall asleep than boys. The other key piece, which any biological female is going to recognize that sleep can be affected by monthly menstrual pain. So that's something to be aware of. You know, that's something that happens on an approximately monthly basis. And yes, it absolutely does affect sleep. If you are um, somebody who experiences premenstrual syndrome, if you have period pain, and that's something that is actually really common. So up to 93% of teen girls say that they get cramps ranging from mild to severe. I've spoken with women who were able to tell me about what it was like when they were, you know, in school and they remember just being curled up and they couldn't go to school because of the pain. So, you know, this is actually a real thing and about half of U.S. girls get their period by age 12. So just to, to give you a sense of the scope. Yeah. So, so that's one piece. Again, we can't change biology, but just to be aware this is an issue. Um, so. You know, that's yet another layer of things that are impacting sleep. So if we can try and and impact the areas we can, it helps our teens. Um, Sexual and gender minority teens in general sleep worse. And this is a a really big deal there. It was actually kind of surprising. The oldest members of Generation Z are now adults, which is kind of amazing to think about. So, this, so there was a poll by Gallup, and it was adults. And what they showed was more than 20% of the Gen Z respondents say that they identify as LGBTQ. So that is the highest for all the groups. Um, but why that matters is because, in general, sexual and gender minority teens and adults do sleep worse. And often that's because of discrimination, That's also something when you look at um, race and ethnic identity, teens of color disproportionately likely to sleep poorly. So, and again, a lot of that is rooted in discrimination. And that's everything from microaggressions on up. And there's the cumulative impact of that. There's also what they call the epigenetic factors, which is sort of that that legacy, um, the longer-term consequences that can be passed down through the generations. And then... There's also socioeconomic status, the impact of poverty in neighborhoods. If you're living in noisy conditions or crowded conditions, or you don't feel safe, or you're going to bed hungry, all of that impacts your ability to get a good night's sleep. So so these are bigger issues that that unfortunately we can't readily solve. But just being aware of them, I think is super important because these are above and beyond the stresses our teens are already facing, and so we may not be able to impact that. But again, we can take tangible st- steps to help them with the pieces we can help with, having to do with their sleep.
0: Right, and and it, it, we think a lot about um, that every young person in a school or every every learner in a school is known well, right? And when a when a young person in a school is known well. It's not only, hey, how can we help them encourage to get, how, we, how do we help them get more sleep and encourage them to do that with that with the purview that we have, not being parents, but being educators, but also recognizing that each one of those individuals is a separate identity and is uh, has different stressors, uh, different benefits, whatever the case may be. And when we recognize those pieces, we then can help support them more, even though there's a societal piece here. But every kid feels like they belong. That might help them sleep better, right? Like you're making that interesting connection between belonging and uh, making sure that that we we don't have uh, racism and discrimination and bullying, all those kind of things in schools that cause young people to not sleep as well, especially when um, they have a, a more marginalized identity. So, so I really appreciate you making that that connection and and really emphasizing to our listeners that to remind ourselves over and over again that every individual is unique and and some have challenges that are way um, uh, more challenging than others, uh, but all need more sleep in the long run.
1: Yes, all teens as a whole are sleep deprived, but many teens are in one or more of these categories. Yeah. So exactly. recognizing yeah. that, that they have these additional stressors and then those stressors which are eroding their sleep, well, that's also eroding their emotional resiliency in turn to be able to deal
0: with those stressors. Right, 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 right. All right. We've covered a lot of ground. It's been a fast 30 minutes, uh, Lisa. So appreciate you you uh, sharing all that you've shared today. Um, uh, two last questions for you before I wrap it up. Um, Number one, an uh, organization or person that you like to amplify uh, who's inspired you or in this work um, that, that uh, others may want to look up. And then um, what is your final takeaway message for our listeners? Uh, so answer those two questions.
1: Yes. So uh, you heard me mention it before, but I really would like to give a shout out to Start School Later. It's a mm. national nonprofit, as the name implies. It's all about advocacy for healthy school start times. It's um, it's a group I reached out to. I started my own local chapter back in 2015 when I first got involved in this issue. And it's a tremendous uh, repository of knowledge and a tremendous resource because these changes of starting schools later uh, have been made across the country. And so all these issues, like you'd mentioned, dealing with sports and, you know, the issue of change and transportation, these have all been addressed and there are Um, examples of how they've been successfully addressed. So I think that's pretty key is that nobody has to go and reinvent the wheel. Um, The final takeaway message that I would have, I would say is just my my plea would be to make sleep a priority, that I think being aware of how much sleep we all truly need, it's not a, a badge of honor to get by on too little sleep which unfortunately is the way it's often seen in society, we don't do anything better as a result of being sleep deprived. So, you know, getting by because you have to is one thing, but that's a, a far cry from setting ourselves and setting our teens up for success. So really knowing they do need eight to 10 hours, really understanding that there are these implications for everything from their ability to learn to their mental health to drowsy driving, etc. And then doing what we can to make sleep a priority and to enable them however we can to try and get enough sleep.
0: I really appreciate that. It is interesting you, you bring that up as this idea that when we say, or when teenagers say, or even sometimes I've seen it with adults in the workplace is, oh, I worked really late last night. And there's this sort of pat on the back, like, oh, wow, you've done that. Without the acknowledgement that this is a health issue that we're dealing with. So um, to, to, to wrap up what I learned today, I learned a lot. So, But to, to summarize for our audience, so A, recognizing just like in zero to, zero to five-year-olds, the, the teenage years, there's incredible brain development going on. And this idea of pruning and remodeling is so critical for long-term human uh, development. Uh, and then the second piece is this idea of, of uh, when you don't get enough sleep, which you've asserted over and over again, We students are not getting enough, teenagers are not getting enough sleep, that uh, we th- they are challenged with all sorts of things from emotional, heightened emotions and depression to mental health, physiological health, health et cetera. So this is a real health challenge. And you are really um, asserting that we need to elevate that. And I appreciate that. And then that, that there are some things that can be done and you're a great example of, of something can be done. You, you managed to help pull it off at the state level, but there are examples all over the country of policy issues with later state to, later start times. Um, what can we think about technology being aware, the addictive nature of it? How do we limit teens use in their bedrooms at night so they can actually sleep? Um, and then uh, I really was interested in this idea of schools and what can schools manage on their own learning management systems to help with the sleep issues. So they're not doing homework up until 11.59 at night. Thank you so much uh, for your time today. I hope everybody who's listening uh, have, has a, a little bit of a different perspective on what we can do in this very fundamental issue that affects everything um, that our teenagers experience. So thanks so much, Lisa.
1: Thank you, thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Getting Smart podcast today. We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning.